The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. But open your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to talk tonight a little bit about the, earth, the, the need in, in our churches uh, today to, to work and to go and work in the fields of the Lord. Who will go and work? You can remain seated as we read. Let's read together from John chapter 4, beginning at verse number 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto, unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth uh, fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Uh, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together tonight. I pray that you would quiet and still us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would instruct us. And I pray, Father, that we would be admonished by what we hear tonight and that we'd be, we would be encouraged to go out and work in the fields of the Lord. Thank you for this time and all that are here. Blessed in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder tonight, what is the greatest common need in our churches in America? Perhaps it, maybe it's holiness. Uh, from what I see, ob- observing the lives of people that claim to be Christians, I, I'd say there's definitely a need for holiness in our churches tonight. People living genuine lives, not hypocritical lives, not, not putting on a facade when they come to church and then going out and living their life to their own selfish pleasures. Perhaps it is holiness tonight. That's, that's probably one of the greatest needs of the church, but I wouldn't say that's so much a common need as much as it is an, a, a, a great need. Or perhaps it's, it's, a, it's a need for commitment. I have, I have observed over the last several years, I've been in the ministry for 33 years, and I've observed over the last several years, and I'm sure uh, Pastor Litzenberg and Pastor Smith and others can, can, can agree with me here, it is getting so much more difficult to get people to make commitments to the Lord and commitments to the church. It's so difficult today to get people to, to set their priorities in such a manner that, that they will commit themselves to, to serving Christ on, on, on a consistent basis. Maybe that's, maybe that's the greatest need. I, I, I don't know, but again, I don't think that that's so much a common need among all churches. And of course, we know that few things are important as faithfulness. Maybe tonight, one of the greatest needs of the church, it's faithfulness. Uh, 
This is certainly a, a true statement. We, we, we find that we find so much in today's, uh, in today's uh, world that faithfulness to attend church, faithfulness to tithe, faithfulness to serve is becoming more and more difficult to see. Maybe it's faithfulness. Certainly a great need is, is the need for courage. The need for preachers to have the courage to stand in their pulpits and preach the truth of God, whether, it, it, whether it's, it's pleasing to man or not, whether it's pleasing to the flesh or, or, or pleasing to the, to the heart of man is not the issue. The issue is preaching the truth of God to all that come to hear the, the word of God preached. That's a great need. And these are all very important and, and lack in, in a great number of churches that we find in America today. Perhaps the largest churches you'll find, the largest assemblies that will call themselves churches that you find are, are desperately in need of all of these things. But as I said, I, I've served in local church ministries now for 33 years. And I find that the greatest, most common need is an effective outreach into the local communities across our nation. I didn't say an outreach, I said effective outreach. In early church history, we see that this outreach work was the catalyst that launched the church into the known world. In fact, so much so that in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, we read, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Did you, did you, did you notice in that verse the, the, the identity given to the local church in Jerusalem? These that have turned the world upside down. But in our communities today, we barely make a ripple. Instead of causing a tidal wave of Revival that these men and women in Jerusalem did. We have failed. And we are continuing to fail in this local mission field tonight. I, I hope to, to have a song performed tonight, but um, it was kind of short notice. I wanted, I wanted to have the song, My House is Full, sung tonight. Because in that song... There's a statement made. It goes, my house is full, but my fields are what? Who knows? Everybody together. Empty. And that's the case in every city in America tonight. And that may be a bold statement, but I think it's a true one. I think that America tonight lacks laborers in the harvest field. Now, unless you get the wrong idea tonight, I'm not saying that our churches are filled necessarily filled with bad Christians. In fact, some of the finest people I've ever known are sitting in this room here tonight. So I'm not saying that our churches are filled with bad people. But what I'm asking is this, who will go and work in the harvest fields today?
We spent several months late, uh, of late in outreach training. Pastor, we, we had videos and we did a lot of studying and we did a lot of, of, of teaching in outreach training. But can I ask you a question? What good is all that training if we do not put it to use? Imagine training an army to fight. Imagine amassing the equipment that's necessary and the funds that's necessary and the personnel that's necessary to train an army, to train people to fight and defend our country, and then just send them all home and none of them ever go and fight. That wouldn't make much sense at all, would it? An army is trained so that they can go and so that they can fight. And the same needs to be true for you and I tonight. So many hours have, have we spent in outreach uh, and training. But let me ask you this. How many hours, and I'm preaching to myself tonight too, by the way. How many hours have we actually spent in outreach since we've been trained? That's a good question. And one I think we all need to ask and answer to ourselves. Remember, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. Some of us in this room have been probably trained, more effectively trained in outreach than a lot of people. But what are we doing with that training? After all, remember the key points to the Great Commission. What are they? Go. Go ye into all the world and preach. Preach the gospel. Now, I think tonight, from what I've already said, we've established the most common needs need in our churches tonight is the need for, for outreach, the need for evangelizing the lost. So I'd like to take just a few moments to expound upon this need in our churches. And my hope and prayer is that each of us will take ownership of this responsibility and that we will strive to fulfill this calling of the Lord in our daily lives. So tonight, let's consider this, this need. Let's consider this, this work. And I'd like to say, I'd like first of all for us to look at the obligation to work. The obligation to work. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 9. It's just a few chapters over. John chapter 9. And let's look together at verse 4 of John chapter 9. Here we read, Jesus is speaking and says, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work, Jesus states. Notice, notice that he didn't say, I would like to work. He didn't say, I should work. He didn't even say, I plan to work. He said, I must work. He was very emphatic 
and his choice of words here. I must work. Now, this statement, to me, obligates us all in this room tonight to this, to this task of working, of doing the works of him that hath called us. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. That's, those are the works of the Father. He said, I must do the Father's work. We're obligated to work. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Notice Paul states that we are obligated. We are obligated by virtue of the mercies of God. Let me ask you tonight, is God merciful to us? Is he? Can anyone sit here tonight and say, God hasn't done anything for me? Of course not. All of us here have received much more than we deserve. And God's mercies tonight. You know, you know what God's mercies are? God's mercies are not giving us what we deserve. Judgment, punishment. God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And his grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. His love and his mercy. Salvation. Sanctification. We don't deserve all these things. You and I deserve nothing. But God has given us his grace. And the things we do deserve because of our own sin, God withholds from us because of his great mercy. And Paul says, because of God's mercy upon us, it is reasonable that we will live our lives sacrificed, holy, and acceptable unto him. Yes, tonight we have an obligation to work. We have forfeited the right to sit at home. We are not our own masters tonight. God is our Lord and our King. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul states what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You've been, you're purchased. You've been, you've been bought by the blood of Christ. And you are not your own. And you do not have the right. You do not have the right to choose your own path. We are obligated tonight to walk in the path which the Lord has set before us. We're to run our race with patience. We're to endure hardships, Paul said, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
We are to walk worthy of God who has called us. We are obligated tonight. We must serve the Lord in the harvest fields of this world. We must, as we are admonished in scripture, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We must serve. But also, I don't want us to miss the fact that Jesus said, listen to this carefully, I must work. Do you see that in verse 4? He said, I must work. But he said, I must work. This obligation does not attach itself only to the pastor. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, well, yeah, the church is supposed to go out and reach people. But that's the pastor's job. That's why we pay the pastor. Wrong answer. Oh, it's the pastor's job. I'm sure the pastor would admit it's his job. But it's your job, too. Jesus said, I must work. It's not the obligation of only the leadership of the church. It belongs to every Sunday school teacher. It belongs to every nursery worker. It belongs to every choir member. It belongs to the people that come in and clean the church on Saturday. It belongs to the people that landscape the building. It belongs to every person that sits in a pew in this church. It belongs to the children on the other side. It belongs to every one of us. I must work. Not one person is exempt from this obligation. And this was affirmed by the truth that Jesus took this obligation upon himself. Turn with me to John chapter 13. Keep a marker there in John chapter 9. And let's go to chapter 13. I can't see the time, so I'm assuming I'm doing good. So you just hang in there. John chapter 13. And let's look at verse number 13 together. John chapter 13 and verse 13. I said that that the fact that it is the obligation, the responsibility of every person sitting here tonight and every Christian breathing air in America and around this world tonight because Jesus affirmed this by his own words. John chapter 13, look at verse 13. Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things... Happy are ye if ye do them. Now, in John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus said, I must work. In other words, Jesus is acknowledging the fact that he is obligated to serve the Father and to do the will of the Father. So how much more you and I? If the master himself, if the, if the king of kings and lord of lords must serve the Father, must do the will and work of the Father, then how much more 
you and I, the servants of Christ, the servants of the Father. We must work. So tonight, as, as we sit in these pews, let us see the obligation that we have to be laborers in the harvest fields of God. Laborers to, to, to go out and, and compel men and women to come to church. Let us no longer sit on, on, in the pews and, 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 and bask upon the, the, the mercies and grace of God and not accept the obligation that we have to serve him. But then secondly tonight, I want, I'd like to see us consider the urgency to work. Not only the obligation that we have to work, but the urgency to work. Back to John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. There is a very urgent need for this work tonight. Jesus said, the night cometh. Now, there are many implications that could be made here concerning this matter of the night. We could, we could label this as the night of sin. That sin will creep into our lives and, and sin may render us useless. And, 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 and Paul said he, he himself feared that, that, that he might be a castaway and, and might, be, uh, might become unusable to God. Maybe, maybe that's a good implication, the night of sin. Well, it could be the night of sickness. Uh, disease and sickness is, is in all of our pathways. And, and, and maybe he's saying, you know, you better get to work while it is day because that night of sickness is coming and you're going to find yourself one day unable because of disease or sickness to go out and, and, and serve the Lord in these, in these harvest fields. Maybe that's, Maybe that's what he's talking about. It certainly, it certainly is a possibility, right? Maybe, maybe he's talking about the night of death. Maybe he's saying, you know, death is coming and, and you, better, well, you better work while it is day because the night cometh when no man can work. And all of these could be good arguments for the meaning of Jesus' statement here. However, I believe the very next verse explains what he meant by the night. Look at John chapter 9 and verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Could it be that maybe Jesus is just simply talking about the end of days is drawing near? That, that his Holy Spirit shall be removed from this earth, the light of the truth shall be taken away, and, and, and at that point there will be no light, there will be, there will be no, no, no gospel witness from us. <clears throat> Do you know that Jesus is coming again? You know, when I got saved and heard someone say that, I was shocked. I was so, I was a religious man, but I was so ignorant to scripture. When I heard a preacher say, Jesus is coming again, I said, what? What? Wait, wait, what? He's coming back? But in order for him to come back, he had to leave, right? 
Jesus is the light of the world. Maybe I think this is the light he's talking about here. I think the darkness of evil is what he's talking about. When his spirit will be removed from this earth and men will, will be powerless against the evil that, that, that is upon this earth. Right now, Jesus, the light of the world, the Holy Spirit works and strives with the hearts of men, compelling men to believe but one day that, that light, that, that, that spirit will be taken away and the darkness of evil will permeate this world in every corner. And not only do we know that Jesus is coming again, but we don't even know when that will be, do we? As the song goes, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. Jesus is coming again. And though we do not know when that will be, we do know that our opportunity, our opportunity to serve the Lord will be passed. Now, when Jesus stated that the night is coming when no man can work, he is, stru- he is stressing to us the urgency of serving the Lord while you can. I've talked to so many people over the years, and I, I've, I've mentored a lot of younger Christian people. I remember the years I worked side by side with Brother Tabor, most difficult person I ever had to deal with. No, he's a great guy. And, and so many young men, I, in, in 33 years, I, I trained a plethora of bus captains and, and, and taught many, many people how to witness and win souls to Christ. And, but the one thing that I've always tried to stress to people is this. If you're going to do anything for God, do it now. Don't put it off. Because you won't always have the chance to do it. Many things, we face many things on a daily basis that we do not know. I'd be a a fool if I stood here tonight and and told you that I'll never sin, I'll never fall, I'll never fail. Peter did that, didn't he? Though all men forsake you, I will never forsake you. Before the night was over, he was cursing and swearing and denying the Lord. It's a foolish man that boasts of his ability to, to stay right with God. We don't know. I I certainly strive to to stay right with God, and I certainly live my life to to that end. But you and I just don't know. The devil desires to sift us like wheat. And we do not know when we will fall. But we do know that we have to serve the Lord. Solomon, what did Solomon say in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom into the grave, whither thou goest. There's an urgency tonight. There's an urgency for you and I to serve the Lord. There's an urgency for us to study the Bible. There's an urgency for us to pray. There's an urgency for us to instruct our children and to teach them. And admonish them to live for Christ. There's an urgency tonight that we will set our priorities right. There's an urgency tonight 
that we will live our lives to the glory of the Father. We have but one life to live. So live it for God's glory and according to his purpose. So we see the obligation to work. We see the urgency to work. But now thirdly, let us consider the abundance of the harvest. In John chapter 4 and verse 35, we read it a little earlier. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Perhaps the most common excuse people make for not going into the harvest field is, I don't know who to speak to. Has anyone ever told you that? Well, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know who to go visit. I don't know who to talk to. Well, to coin an old phrase, they're everywhere. Lost people are everywhere you look. And Jesus said that the harvest is already white. It's already ripe. The harvest is just sitting out there. All we have to do is go and reap it. There's never a wrong person to witness to. Let me remind you tonight that your job is not to save souls. You can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. My job is not to go out and save men and women. My job is to simply go and preach the gospel. The results of my labors are the Lord's, not my own. And... They are certain. I'd like for you to mark John chapter 9 and turn with me to Psalm 126. I said that if we will just go and, and, and labor, that the harvest is certain. Now, before we read these verses... How many of you here believe the counsel of God? How many of you here say, say God says it, it's going to be, it's, it's fact. How many of you believe that? Raise your hand. All right. Well, let's look at Psalm 125, verses 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall, what's that next word? shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The harvest is certain. The fact that you will win people to to Christ is a given. And as a matter of fact, it's guaranteed here by the Lord himself. What did it say? He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Shall doubtless. Now, that doesn't mean every time you go, you're going to bring back, you're going to win someone to Christ. That doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is if you're faithful, 
And if you go and go and keep going and keep going and keep going, you shall doubtless rejoice in the fact that you've won souls to Christ. I can guarantee that. I can guarantee that. Because God's word says it's so. Does it not? The heart of the, heart of the believer. What, what, is, what is it? I think I put this on your, on your study sheets. He sows in tears. And as he goes forth. Weeping for the souls of men. When was the last time that you wept over lost people? I mean, when was the last time you got on your knees at home to pray for the salvation of men and women and you were so brokenhearted over over the sin in this world that you started to weep for the souls of men? Have you have you ever done that? Have I ever done that? Perhaps we're just too busy worrying about ourselves. Perhaps we're too worried about what we're going to do next or whether we're happy or, or whether we're safe. Perhaps we're so content in our own assurance and our own salvation. Paul wept. Paul wept over Jesus. Jesus wept over the children. We, we say we care about souls. But do we? Do we? Our inactivity says we don't. Our failure to, to go and our failure to weep and our failure to bear the seed into our community says you don't. I'm not trying to be unkind tonight. I'm just preaching the counsel of God. The psalmist said, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There is an abundant harvest waiting for the workers. It is ripe and it is ready to be harvested, but it cannot be harvested Without harvesters. It's real easy to sit at home and say. Oh I, I'm, I, I feel so bad for lost people. It's so easy to sit back and say. Boy I, Lord please save people. Well put, let's put feet to our prayers. Let's put tears to our, to our prayers. Let's, let's care about the lost. Enough. To be concerned. And to go. Far too many get discouraged because they go once or twice and see no results. But remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul wrote, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You may reap where you have not sown. And you may sow where another will reap. But the harvest is plenteous and it is waiting for you and me to go and reap. Now, tonight we've considered the obligation to work. We've considered the urgency of the work. And we've considered the abundance of the harvest. Now, lastly, tonight, let us consider the lack of the laborers. 
In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, we read, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. How many men and women followed Jesus around the countryside? Thousands, thousands, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Why? Because he was feeding them, right? He was giving them fish and bread. But when Jesus started preaching to them, and when Jesus started laying the obligations and the responsibilities of discipleship upon them, what happened? One by one, they began to leave, didn't they? Until he was down to only the 12. You see, there's a lack of laborers. There's not a, there's not a lack of people who, who, who want to be involved. There's not a lack of people to come to the churches. There's not a lack of people to, to get involved in those things that might bring a little, a little respect to them or a little... They might get a little pat on the back. But there's a lack of laborers in the harvest field. See, now we we come to the crux of my message tonight. The song I, I referred to earlier, My House is Full, it goes like this. There is peace and contentment in the Father's house today. Lots of food on his table and no one is turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by. But a hush calms the singing when the father sadly cries. My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table. But no one wants to work in my fields. No one wants to work in my fields. Sadly, tonight, this is true of the vast majority of believers. Good people. Good people. And I have no reason to doubt their love for God. But they're content to sit at the Father's table while the harvest sits in the field. Now, let me ask you, is this true of us tonight? Is this true of, of, of those of us who attend Berean Baptist Church? Are we content sitting at the fire? Oh, we love to come and hear the preaching. We love to come for the fellowship. We love to come and be fed and to sing and to rejoice. And there's much laughter And there's much happiness. 
But what about the harvest field? What about the harvest? It's ripe. It's white. It's ready to be brought in. And the father desires that it be brought in. And it's his will that it be brought in. And and he's called us and he's empowered us. And he's made us effective as witnesses. And and he's given us all that we need to go and, and bring in the harvest. But what about us tonight? Now, folks, and remember, I'm not standing up here saying that I've arrived. I'm preaching to myself as well as I'm preaching to you. Will we go forth weeping, bearing the precious seed of the gospel, so that one day we, or maybe another, can come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with us? Remember this. Not one person, including you, was saved without having heard the gospel. Not one person. So now it's your time. It's your turn to be the one that goes into the harvest field of the Lord. And with a broken heart and with weeping over the souls of men... Preach the gospel to everyone you see. And then one day soon, we will all be able to come again, rejoicing and and bringing with us the sheaves from the harvest field. I close with this verse, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, your desire tonight is that we would go forth and and witness that we would go forth and carry the gospel into this community, that, that we those that you have have saved, those that you've blessed so so richly, that we would go and share with others the, the truth that set us free, the truth that brought salvation to our home. It's your will, it's your desire that we would carry this message, that we would go. And I'm afraid, Father, that we're failing. I'd like to be able to just stand up here and say, oh, we're doing a great job. But the truth of the matter is, we're not. If we'll get off our high pedestals that we've placed ourselves on, and if we'll look at the truth that we we don't go into the harvest field, it's time for us to change, Lord. It's time for us to see the obligation. It's time for us to see the urgency. It's time for us to... See the abundance of the harvest. And it's time for us to become one of your laborers. So I pray that you would would plant this message in the hearts of all tonight in the spirit that it was given, in the spirit of humility and in a desire that we would glorify you. And I pray, Lord, that you will use this this message tonight to, to light a fire in each one of us. That we will go out into the harvest field and bring back those sheaves 
rejoicing for your glory and for your honor. Thank you, Father, for this time now. I pray you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.